Good morning, Parkway Church. How we doing? Good. So glad you're here, whether you're gathered at Parkway Victoria, Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, or Parkway Online. I am just so glad that you are here. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege today, as we do each and every Sunday this year, to open the Bible with you and to continue our journey, where we're getting to know the major players of the Bible. We're getting to see the theological threads that run throughout Scripture. We're seeing the storyline of God unfold before our very eyes as we study Scripture book by book, chunk by chunk. And today, we're continuing the series, The God I Wish You Knew, which is a series out of uh, the books of the major prophets in the Old Testament. So if you brought your Bible, you can open up to Jeremiah. As you turn to Jeremiah, let me just recap what this series is all about. So the major prophets are men who spoke boldly to their times, And they were men who could also give a picture of what God would do in the future. They were prophets and that they could speak bold truth and they could, with God's inspiration, tell what the future would bring. And so last week we began with a look at Isaiah. And Isaiah was a bold, passionate prophet. And if he were here before you today, he would say, the God I wish you knew is holy. And because God is holy, believers in Jesus Christ, church, because God is holy, we should be holy. Because God is perfect, we should grow in holiness. Because God is who he is, we should grow to be more like him. So this week, as I was continuing to process that message, this thought hit me. Anytime we put the word that in front of something that we're trying to justify, That means that we've got an issue with holiness, meaning my language isn't that bad. Well, compared to how God would speak, how bad is your language? My language isn't that bad. That movie isn't that bad. My attitude isn't that bad. What I'm doing with my coworker, flirting, it's not that bad. Who I am and what's going on in my life, it could be worse. It's not that bad. Anytime you have to put a that in front of this, you got a problem. Anytime we have to justify ourselves and say, well, it could be worse. I'm not that bad, or my thoughts aren't that bad, my words aren't that bad, my actions aren't that bad. Anytime we justify our actions with the word that, we have identified the gap between us and God, between us and our Heavenly Father. We've identified that gap. And the prophet Isaiah says, because God is holy, you can be holy. And he's given you his son so that you can have a relationship with him and live in fellowship with him. And you can be like him in your life. See, because the God I wish you knew is holy, is what Isaiah would say. Last week, I asked you to submit who you think God is. Finish the sentence. God is. Using the Parkway app, go ahead and just let me know who you think God is. And we had dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of submissions. God is the creator of all the universe and mankind. God is my light and my shield. God is my rock, my everything, my hope. God is patient. God is forgiving. God is loving. God is kind. God is my breath and my life. God is my everything. God is my sustainer. The list goes on and on and on. But there's one quality of God that wasn't mentioned in the dozens of qualities that we put together as a church family. 
And that's the character trait that we want to look at today from the prophet Jeremiah's perspective. And that is this, that God is judge. Today, as we continue our series, we look and we see if God is holy and he's perfect, the God I wish you knew is also the judge. You say, Mike, I thought God was kind of like Planet Fitness. You know, Planet Fitness is the judgment-free zone. I thought God was like Planet Fitness, that if I'm with God, I'm in the judgment-free zone. There's no judgment to be found, no judgment to be had. But, but even Planet Fitness has its limits. A Massachusetts man recently walked in to his local Planet Fitness. He took off his gym shorts. He took off his shirt. He took off his underpants and began performing yoga. I've got a picture of it right here. No. And if you wanted to see that, man, I got a counselor for you. As they put these fancy bracelets on him, the police officers escorted him out of the building. He said, I thought this was a judgment-free zone. And here I am being judged. Well, friends, as we look at God as judge, we're going to see that it's 100% consistent with who he is and what he's done for us. The prophet Jeremiah is going to teach us much. Jeremiah is one of the longest major prophets. It is an extensive book, and I'm going to just give you the thumbnail version. Jeremiah was 17 years old when he was called by God to begin to prophesy. Remember, prophesying means that he speaks the truth to his day, and he speaks the truth about what God will do in the future. And you've got a teenager here prophesying, and the people of God are not walking with God. We'll see in a minute that they turn their backs to him instead of their faces. They walk away from him instead of walking with them. And they are continually rebellious. And this is the group that Jeremiah has been called to preach to. This is the group that Jeremiah has been called to reach so that they will walk with God instead of walking away from God. And this is a big burden on Jeremiah's life. And so he's actually known as the weeping prophet because he would cry before God and he would cry before the people. This was a heavy burden. One of the things about the major prophets and the minor prophets is these books are challenging to read because they are burdensome. They do put some of the weight on our shoulders as Christ followers to say, you know what? I need to do business with God. Because today, the God I wish you knew, Jeremiah says, the God I wish you knew is judge. People of God were being overtaken by the Babylonians. Babylonians would come and go from time to time and take people and take the land. And this is one of those times when the Babylonians had surrounded God's people. And, and Jeremiah could see the impending doom. And yet here he is crying before God and crying before the people because the people aren't listening. And God's about to judge them for it. And in the midst of that, God asked Jeremiah to do something very strange. He asked Jeremiah to buy a piece of land. He said, pay for it with silver. Have a witness that's there so they see you sign it. I want you to have a deed. I want you to have a title to this place. This is yours. And Jeremiah looks back at God, says, God, do you realize that what you're asking me to do is to buy land in a war zone? God, why would I spend my money now when I know I'm about to need it in an emergency? God, why would I invest in land that's about to be taken by the conquerors that surround us. 
It'd be like going this week and buying the best oceanfront property you could in South Carolina. It'd be like going to California and buying that cabin just before the wildfire overtakes it. It would be like you making the poorest of poor investments. And that's what God is calling Jeremiah to do in this moment. And so Jeremiah, the one who has spoken for God for years, the one who is weeping and carries the burden of this message, looks back to God and says, why would I buy this property? Why would I invest in something that is sure to be a loss? Listen to what God says. Jeremiah 32, 26 through 29. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? So let's just pause right there. Jeremiah asks a valid question and God gives him a straight up answer. He says, I am the Lord. I am God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? In this moment, God was calling his prophet to trust him by faith. In this moment, God was calling the one who weeps to be the one who walks by faith and not by sight. In this moment, God was reminding Jeremiah, you talk to the people all the time about my power. Do you believe that I'm powerful? And God says, nothing is too hard for me. I don't know what you're going through today where you might lean on this God, the God who says nothing is too Nothing is too difficult. Nothing is too hard for me. Nothing is impossible for me. I don't know what you're going through, but this same God is the God that leads us today. Nothing is too hard for him. The story continues. Therefore, verse 28, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to give the city into the hands of the Babylonians and to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who will capture it. The Babylonians, and if you're VeggieTales fanatics from way back when, this is King Nebi, and it's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. This is the first exile. The Babylonians who are attacking the city will come and set it on fire. They will burn it down along with the houses where the people have aroused my anger by burning incense on the roofs to Baal and by pouring out drink offerings to other gods. So God is about to judge his people in a real physical way because they have aroused his anger. So as we look at the message of Jeremiah today and the fact that God is judge, I want you to see it from two perspectives. First one is this, because God is judge, he disciplines us. And second, because God is judge, he gives us grace. God's discipline and God's grace always come together. In the book of Jeremiah, we're gonna see it fleshed out. Jeremiah 32, 30 through 35. The people of Israel and Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. God is building his case against the people. He doesn't have to. He's holy. We're not. But he's showing Jeremiah that he is just in his judgment. Indeed, the people of Israel have done nothing but arouse my anger with their hands that have made, that have, that have made declares the Lord. Pardon me. They've done nothing. One, one thousand, two, one thousand. They have done nothing but arouse my anger with their hands. They've made, declares the Lord. I still can't read it right, but I'm just gonna move on. Verse 31, you know the joke. 
I was a speech major, but that doesn't mean that I can read. From the day it was built until now, the city has aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they've done, they and their kings. Remember, circle back as we were in the series, Kings and Kingdoms. The people of God chose a king instead of a prophet. The people of God chose a King Saul instead of God's man, Samuel. And God warned them, said, if you choose a king, if you have a good king, there will be good days. If you have a bad king, you will pay the price for your king. This is one of those days where they are paying the price for their bad decision and for the bad decisions of their kings and leaders and officials, the priests, the prophets, the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem. Listen to what they've done. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. Every parent knows what God feels in this moment. Over and over and over again, I discipline them over and over and over again. I try and train them over and over and over again. They ignore me and they turn their back to me and they don't listen. Listen to how the people of God rejected God himself. They set up vile images in the house that bears my name and defiled it. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. Though I never commanded it, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. So God looks out at the people. He is holy and we're not. And he points out all the ways that we're not holy. And this last one, the most detestable of ways, they were offering their kids to the God, that's a little g God, that's a false God named Molech. And Molech was represented by this this bronze statue. Molech was known as a protector, one that would give you strength. And so if you felt like you needed protection or you felt like you needed strength, you would go make a sacrifice to Molech. And what they were sacrificing to Molech wasn't a lamb or a goat, but they were sacrificing their own kids to this little g false god. They would heat up the base of the bronze statue with a fire until the bronze statue was was so hot that it would kill the children that were laid in his arms. And if they didn't die from the fire in his arms, they would die as they rolled into the flames at his feet. This is what the people of God were doing. Instead of trusting the God of the universe who had led them all this way, They were turning to a little G God. God said, this is so detestable. It didn't even enter my mind that they would do it. I mean, can you imagine doing something so bad that God didn't even consider you would do that? That's what the people are doing here. And because of that, God is gonna judge them. And as you think about this picture we have here, with God telling Jeremiah to buy a piece of land, God saying, I'm gonna judge the people rightly. Honest question. Does God still discipline today? If God's judgment brings discipline and grace, question, does God still discipline us today? The answer is yes, he does. In Hebrews chapter 12, in fact, if you brought your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12 now, leave a thumb in Jeremiah, but turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We see that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are 100% consistent because they are the same God. The God who judges with discipline and grace in the Old Testament judges with the very same 
discipline and grace in the New Testament. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Hebrews chapter 12. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So why was God disciplining the people of God in the Old Testament with Jeremiah and his prophecy? Because they were his chosen people. Why does God still discipline today believers in Jesus Christ? Why does he discipline today? Because we are his children. One of the signs that we're children of God is that God disciplines us so that we will grow to be more like him, so that we will grow to trust him more and more. Keep reading the book of Hebrews 12, 7 through 8. The Bible says to endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. The writer of Hebrews is trying to assure those of us that have this false thinking at times. Some of us, when difficulty and struggle and strife and even the discipline of God come into our lives, we think, well, God's forgotten us. I'm not his son. I'm not his daughter. And the writer of Hebrews says to us here, there is proof that you're God's kid. He disciplines you. He doesn't discipline strangers. He disciplines his kids. Just like you and I would never dare to discipline someone else's kids at HEB. By the way, if you do that, you need to stop. <laughs> stop it. You discipline your own kids. Don't try and discipline me either. <laughs> Hebrews 12, let's finish it up. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of the spirits and live? I love that picture. How many of y'all, when you were being disciplined growing up, were like, I respect you, Dad, for doing this to me today? Right? How many of you now, you look back and you go, you know, I respect my parents for the way they disciplined me. You know, there's a little bit of time, a little perspective, a little growth that comes. I'll be honest. I never, ever went stomping up the stairs, yelling and crying and said, Dad, I respect you because you did this. Never did that happen. And, and, and disciplining me was a full-time job when I was a kid. It's a full-time job. Morning, noon, and night, somebody was telling me to stop doing something. That's just how it was. And I didn't look and say, Dad, I respect you. Mom, I respect you. But now I look back and I am so grateful for their discipline. I'm so thankful for their discipline. I respect my dad because he disciplined me. They disciplined us, verse 10, for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in his holiness. So why does God discipline? He disciplines so that we will grow in holiness to be more and more like him. Why does God discipline? Because it's for our good. Some of you hear me joke about my father disciplining me and the last thing you would joke about is the way your dad or your mom disciplined you. They didn't discipline you with love and grace in, in what was best for you. They disciplined you with hurt and abuse. 
You need to know that God is not the reflection of your heavenly father, but God instead is the perfection of your heavenly father. He disciplines you for your good. He disciplines me for my good. My dad did the best he could. I do the best I can for Nick, Leah, and Becca. But my heavenly father does better than my dad. And my heavenly father does better for my kids than I could ever do for my kids. Finish it up. Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Jeremiah, the people of God were ignoring the discipline. They weren't being trained by it. The book of Hebrews says, if you're trained by it, you will have righteousness, which is godliness. You'll have peace, which is healthy relationships with God and with each other. And it doesn't seem pleasant at the time. Like my dad, before he would spank me, he would send me up to his closet to pick out the belt that he would spank me with. I would try and find the, the slimmest, smallest belt. Now I know I should have been going for the big fat one, right? Wind resistance. <laughs> it never seemed pleasant. And I, and I never believed my dad that this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you until I began to discipline my own kids in healthy ways. By the way, I never had them pick out a belt. See, God disciplines us. And we learned four things about his discipline from Hebrews 12. Let's hit them quickly. First, God disciplines us fairly. We all undergo discipline. If you think you're the only one that God is watching, and you think you're the only one that God is holding accountable, you think you're the only one that God is disciplining, he's disciplining all. You might be the one who's listening. You might be the one who's learning. You might be the one who's about to experience life change. God also disciplines lovingly, like a perfect father. God disciplines purposefully. And what's that purpose? To make us holy. And how holy does he want us to be? How holy is he? And then lastly, God disciplines gracefully. It's for our own good. One of the things that I hope you'll see and that you'll know forever as you live your life with God is that God's discipline is always accompanied by God's grace because he is a perfect, righteous, holy God. He gives us both his discipline and his grace at the exact same time, every time. Job, listen to how Job put it. Job says this, Job 5, 17 and 18. Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he binds up. For he injures, but his hands also heal. Do you see it? The connection between God's discipline and God's grace. It's an unbreakable bond. Where God disciplines, he always brings his grace. Where there is grace in a believer's life, he always brings discipline. His grace and his discipline are forever linked. We see it even in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, 36 through 41. You are saying this about the city. God is saying, this is what Jeremiah is saying. By the sword, by famine, and by plague, you'll be given to the hands of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them into my 
where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. God says, yes, they are gonna be dispersed when the Babylonians take over. Yes, they will experience loss in the moment, but that's not the end of the story. Listen to how it continues. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action and so that they will always fear me and that all will go well with them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and soul. If you struggle with the idea of a God that judges, with a God that disciplines, know that the discipline and judgment of God is always to bring him back pardon me, to bring us back to him. The discipline and judgment of God is always to, to get me and you back to him. God isn't disciplining you because he hates you. He loves you. God isn't disciplining you to punish you. He wants you to trust him. God isn't disciplining you so that you'll be fearful of him. He wants you to fear him which means to live in a healthy awe and respect for God. God isn't disciplining you so that you'll walk away from him. He's disciplining you so that you'll live fully for him. See, the judgment of God brings his discipline and brings his grace every time. Jeremiah said to the people, God is judging us today, but God will bring us back together. God is spreading us out today, but tomorrow we will be back. And you want proof? I just bought a piece of land. I've got a deed that says when we're back together, this land is mine. This is God's seal, God's promise, God's deposit for his people. Not only could Jeremiah speak to the day, but he also spoke of a day when God's grace would be fully known when we wouldn't just pray for and wait for and dream of God's grace, the Messiah coming. But instead, we would see and know and taste and touch the grace of God. Listen to how Jeremiah, with the inspiration of God, looked into the future and told us what was coming. The days are coming, declares the Lord, Jeremiah 23. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So Jeremiah looked ahead to a day when God would give us a Savior, a righteous Savior. When God would give us the one, we call him Jesus who would bring peace between us and God, who would help us grow in righteousness and godliness. Jeremiah says, hey, if you feel the discipline of God, go ahead and look for the grace of God. Because if God is disciplining you, his grace is right there with you. If you were a child of God, a man or a woman who believed in him by faith and the grace of God has saved you, God will discipline you for your best and for his purpose. God will discipline you lovingly like a perfect father. 
you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, may we learn quickly from God's discipline. A few years back, God taught me much about himself and about myself through a rough patch in a relationship. And as I look back now, it wasn't pleasant at the time. No one would ever want to walk through it. But what God did in me, because I continued to trust him, I continued to humble myself before him, God produced and is producing righteousness and peace through one of the most impossible situations. And friends, if God can do it in me, he can do it in you. So don't despise the discipline of God, church family. Learn from it as quickly as possible. If you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus for life, let me just tell you, this righteous branch that God sent, this Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah that God sent, he died on a cross for your sins and for mine. He was completely innocent, yet they treated him like a guilty man. They laid him in a tomb, and three days later, he was raised again from the dead to offer us life. And the Bible says that this man, this Savior, is Jesus. He's both Savior and Lord. The Bible says that God gave us his son so that we could have life with him. Did you catch it? In the Jeremiah story, the people of God were offering their own kids to the false god Molech for protection and safety and strength that could never be delivered because Molech is a false god. But the one true living God didn't say, bring me your kids. The one true living God sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place. God didn't say, offer your works and your best. God said, I'm offering Jesus, my son, your perfect savior to you. And if you believe that, you've got life, life forever with God. And you've got his Holy Spirit who lives in you, a deposit, a seal of the inheritance that's yours, that's yet to come. Friends, does God discipline? Yeah. But he always does it with grace. And he always does it with your best at heart and his mind so that you will look and live more like him. So don't despise the discipline. Learn from it as quickly as you can. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word today. Even with a difficult passage and a difficult theme is today, Lord, we thank you that your word speaks to our life. God, I pray that you help us to apply it. God, help us to deal with those areas in our life where, where you're working to refine us and to change us, to prune us, to make us more like you. God, I pray that the church, that believers in Jesus Christ wouldn't resist your discipline but would embrace it and learn from it. Church family, as you pray, maybe your prayer is, God, I trust you. This season that I'm in isn't fun. This season I'm in, I don't want to stay in it, but I trust you. Nothing is too hard for you, God. 
today's your day to believe in Jesus and find life, you can mark it with a prayer. Today's your day you can pray, Jesus, thank you that you love me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up. But I also know that you love me. I accept your love and your grace and your forgiveness. I will live with you and I will live for you forever. In Jesus' name.